didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. And you are listening to Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where we go week by week, chapter by chapter, recapping all the episodes of Stranger Things, starting with season one, episode one, and making our way through the entire series. This week, we are covering... Season one, episode six, called The Monster, and Colin is here to give us a little recap before we dive into this episode. Chapter six of season one, titled The Monster, debuted on Netflix on July 15th, 2016. It was directed by the Duffer Brothers and written by Jesse Nixon Lopez. It has a runtime of 47 minutes and three seconds. We open with Nancy still stuck in the Upside Down on the night of Friday, November 11th, 1983. Jonathan is running around yelling Nancy. Nancy is running around yelling Jonathan. She finally gets out and they head back to her house where she convinces Jonathan to stay the night with his gun under the pillow. Alas, Steve, who was coming over to find out why Nancy was acting so weird in the last episode, crawls up the gutter and sees the two of them sitting on her bed and he is decidedly disgruntled. Meanwhile, Hopper is explaining to Joyce how he started putting all the pieces together and he convinces her to go visit Terry Ives with him. The next morning, Saturday, November 12th, Mr. Clark gets paid a visit by executioner Connie Frazier, who's looking for, yeah, right, recruits for the Indiana AV Club. No word yet if our favorite science teacher is still alive or is now lying on his living room carpet face down in a puddle of his own blood. Across town, Dustin convinces Mike to apologize to Lucas after the junkyard incident, but Lucas won't accept until they officially shun Eleven. When Mike refuses, Lucas grabs his gear and bikes off to find Will himself. Speaking of Al, she's been camping out in the woods, remembering another time when Brenner made her drop into the sensory deprivation tank. She comforts herself by stealing Egos from Bradley's Big Buy. Hopper enjoys fine Terry Ives, but her sister Becky informs them that she's pretty much catatonic after taking part in the MK Ultra project. Becky also tells them that Terry was unknowingly pregnant at the time of the experiments and that the lab later told her that she had miscarried. Hopper smells a cover-up. Jonathan and Nancy gather supplies for their expedition to find and kill the monster, including a bear trap, ammunition, nine-inch nails, and a gas canister. As they exit the shop, the pair discovers that Steve, Tommy, and Carol have spray-painted a not-nice-thing-about-Nancy on the movie Marquee, which leads to Jonathan and Steve getting into a tussle. Jonathan gets in a couple good shots, but eventually gets arrested while Dingus and the Deadbeats run away. Lucas has been following his own compass and winds up, naturally, at the lab where he spies a fleet of Hawkins Power and Light Trucks. Not far away, Dustin and Mike are searching for Elle in the woods when they come across Troy and James, who chase them to the quarry. Troy threatens to slice Dustin's teeth out of his head if Mike doesn't kill himself by jumping off the ledge. Mike eventually decides to jump, but he's stopped in midair, much to everyone's amazement. Then Elle rounds the corner, brings Mike back to dry land, telepathically breaks Troy's arm, and sends him and James running home. While she's recovering from her telekinesis, Elle finishes her tank memory from earlier when Brenner made her walk up to the Demogorgon in the black box. The monster turns, Elle freaks and screams, and we finally see how this whole thing started. The gate opens. She apologizes to Dustin and Mike, and a super sweet hug ensues. Just as they get back to Mike's place, the phony repairman calls it in, and the lab vans start a-rolling. The end of Chapter 6. This was an action-packed episode. Yeah, it was. And a, it was lot a lot of... I was trying to think of my 
most stranger thing for superlatives. And I got a list of like 12 things. Yeah. Just, just in this episode. Yeah. Before we go into anything else, I feel like I need to make a correction from a previous episode. When we were talking about previously, we were talking about when Hopper sees the drawing in the lab that he stumbles on. Right. And he stares at it for, it, it just seems like something clicks in his head. There's something that sets him off when he sees it. And I assumed that this is when he put two and two together that this small child in the picture with no hair was also the small child that Benny's friend was talking about that stumbled into Benny's diner. Right. Which it was, but according to this episode, Hopper didn't realize that yet because there's a whole scene where Hopper has this revelation when he's talking to Joyce about the child that drew the picture and who the child was in the picture. Right. So you were, you were giving Hopper credit about a half an episode too early. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, he can still take it because something was going on in his head, but he obviously figures it out when he's talking to Joyce and they're discussing Will's artistic ability versus this kid's because Will's a talented little artist. That's right. Well, we can we can kind of continue on that vein because they do end up at Terry Ives's place um, mm-hmm. somewhere relatively nearby that would require a visit to a phone booth in the middle of nowhere um, to a payphone, <laughs> mind you. Yeah, to figure out where she lives. But you can you redeem yourself because back in our episode three um, Holly Jolly episode, you were talking about how. Eleven went up into Nancy's room and opened up the music box and the music was playing and you're like, pay attention to this music because I think it comes back when they go see Terry Ives. And sure enough, the music playing on the mobile above the crib in uh, Jane's room Mm -hmm. uh, is Brahms Lullaby, which is the same music that was playing in the music box when she went in Nancy's room. But 12 years later. I also realized after watching this episode, I put two and two together that Eleven was never in that room with that lullaby. So why would that song have been a trigger for her? Well, I mean, it would have made sense if it was a trigger for Terry. Sure. Strange things happen in this show. (laughs) I don't know if anybody listening knows this. Yes. (laughs) That's our discussion last week. Sometimes There were some paranormal goings on (laughs) in this show. Sometimes and not, not everything can be explained by science. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, no, I, obviously Eleven never heard that music, but I mean, mm-hmm. who knows if, you know, she heard it through Terry telekinetically in the room or something, who knows, but, but it is the same music and it's, it's Brahms lullaby, which is not exactly an obscure song. No. Um, so it could just be coincidence, but certainly she did in episode three, um, you know, pause for a moment when she heard it on Nancy's music box jewelry box thing so i would also like to point out how we've discussed that parents in the 80s really just assumed their kids were safe at all times and not doing anything that their parents wouldn't want them to do Mm -hmm. which is further proven by the fact that the wheelers literally never check their kids rooms because well and see this i wrote that down too actually because not that long ago after nancy's late night with steve the Mm -hmm. mom is sitting there waiting and this time apparently she's not waiting and it's only like what two three days later 
Well, and, maybe you know, you know, it could be a little bit later in the evening, certainly, but or you know, maybe things have relaxed a little bit in the three days. I I don't know, but I had a note about that too. I mean, where where are her parents when she's wandering home all gooey and sticky and and yeah. walking and walking in with Jonathan, unless she had him shimmy up the gutter. I assumed he came up the gutter because you never see Jonathan leave the room. You see Nancy taking a shower and coming back into the room, but Jonathan stays there the right. whole time. Yeah. I can't imagine how nervous Jonathan was that yeah. Mrs. Wheeler was going to walk yeah. in any seconds. <laughs> or Ted. Yeah, or <laughs> Ted. Maybe eating, I, eating, eating his chicken. Ted is too far out of the game, I feel like, right. to pay attention. He's just, you know, hoping Karen takes care of it. So we get the delightful return of Tommy and Carol in this episode. And like I say in every episode, why can't the Demogorgon eat them? Right. Well, they're not bleeding, which we'll discuss shortly. Yes, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it starts off with the three of them in the in Steve's Beamer, and they're going there, and they're listening to Sunglasses at Night on the radio. Um, more about that in our music section coming up. Um, but you know, and then, and then they're there and I don't know, you know, exactly who did the spray painting. I have a feeling it was Tommy um, with Steve kind of egging him on and Carol doing a little cheer at the bottom as they're doing it. But yeah, so we get, so we get the douchebag trifecta in this episode. And the thing is with a lot of shows, kids are bullies, but sometimes you'll see another angle and we get to understand why they're bullies. Tommy and Carol just suck. And they're yeah, they're downright mean. They're yeah, we, they're we, we have no idea that they're like from a broken home or no, you know, or Mm-mm. I mean, there's no reason or they were picked on as kids, yes. or, you know, something or you know, yeah. So yeah, they're just they're just flat out and out, and they're along with I mean, I had mentioned Troy a couple episodes ago. They're the only kind of one dimensional mm-hmm. assholes, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no you know, multi-dimensional, oh, they have their moments kind of things. They, yeah. they are they are purely antagonists through the, you know, yeah, we up, don't, up, up to this point. Yeah. And not that we really need it, but because sometimes I just want to hate a bully just to hate a bully. I don't want to know why they're mean. And they totally check that box for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love in the um in the fight in the alley. Um Powell and Callahan are breaking it up and Callahan goes running off after him and Powell's like, I got this one. Yes. <laughs> I'll take the easy one. Who's now handcuffed yeah. and can't right. go anywhere. I got, I got the, it. You, I, I got the hard one. You go chase down those kids. Yeah. That was, that was a funny little moment. Did you notice when Jonathan is relentlessly punching Steve in the face, you hear Tommy say, lay off, man. He's had enough. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's almost, which you know how I feel about what people call head nods or references to other shows. And yeah, because it, sometimes it's nothing. But in the next season, I know at one point we do see Tommy dressed as one of the members of Cobra Kai. Oh, so karate it's just kid. funny. Karate yeah. kid throwback. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. It looks like that's what they say to, I can't remember. I Do they say that to Billy? Yes. Well, no, it was when, when Danny, is that his name? Good Lord. How long has it been since I've seen Daniel. Um, yes. Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Right. Daniel. Um, yeah. So it was, it was when the, 
when he was riding his bike and got pushed off the bike and there was at night and they were dressed all like mm-hmm. skeletons. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how about flow flow old, old uh, policewoman or police uh, dispatcher flow with the, the Dish- only, only love makes you this stupid revelation that dishing out a little bit, you know, romantic advice to the teens in yeah. the, middle of the hawkins police department <laughs> the, the voice of reason that we it's so sweet how she says it too yeah just her affectation when she says it it's sweet and, and now and all of a sudden nancy's like oh we're oh oh okay which <laughs> i feel like teenage girls are hyper aware of that stuff almost yeah well nancy's had a little on her mind lately yeah she might uh, be a little bit busy so I guess. might be a little distracted you know i get it losing her best friend and hunting monsters and going mm-hmm. into alternate universes and coming out gooey the other side so what about dustin being the total voice of reason this episode dustin's the man isn't he this He's is just... the rule of law he <laughs> just lays it out for him yeah you're both being assholes yes <laughs> yes it's just great he's just not having it and he doesn't placate either of them he says no you sucked and he sucked and Elle sucked everybody yeah. sucked now Freaking shake hands and get over it and let's or go. Or be banished. Yeah. <laughs> banished from the party. Yeah. And then so so Lucas is like, okay, I'll just be banished then. Yeah. And then he geared up and, uh, you know, kind of went out hunting. And uh, uh, again, like you were just saying um, with the, um, the reference you had, you know, it's kind of like Lost Boys-ish, how they get kind of all dolled up to go out vampire hunting and stuff. I thought but- Rambo with lucas just how he's yeah he's got the headband the headband headband around and he's you know yeah i I, mean it it could be anything you know we're just you know it some of those things it's so easy to say oh they're definitely referencing this but right i mean in the 80s how many little boys were obsessed with wearing camo and playing army or whatever i think it's pretty common well lucas certainly yes yeah and then we get a little backstory on dustin um not moving to the area until fourth grade so yeah yeah we had kind of assumed that these were all lifelong buddies and stuff but dustin's kind of the newbie of the group so that's fourth grade they're seventh grade now so they've only you know it's only been three years of dustin being around i love his face when mike says no listen man you're my best friend too and he just gets this little smile on his face and it's so sweet yeah you can't have more than one best friend yeah (laughs) Oh, I remember kids saying that in elementary school. You have to choose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like your MySpace top eight all yeah. over again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What about Karen Wheeler coming in clutch with that bobby pin? How about that, huh? She just whipped that out of her hair like nothing and just. I don't think that's like, the first time she's done that. No, but also a little, a little too late. Yeah. Because yeah. why didn't you, again, did she not see Nancy coming in with the pink goo? Did she... I, yeah, I don't think that she saw her coming in. I don't know why she wasn't waiting up um, to see Nancy come home with the pink goo. Unless, oh, here's a thought. Maybe mm-hmm. they both shimmied up the gutter. I thought that. I, I That crossed my mind. But wouldn't Karen have then wondered, how did she get inside? If she, what? I, I don't know. Well, maybe, we'll maybe know. it was bedtime and she wandered upstairs and, you know assume nancy was there because the door was closed or something or i don't know yeah who knows i also feel like the amount of hawkins power bands that are around Mm. that is just a really common name like company name to say that people wouldn't 
don't people would question that i feel like yeah and we haven't seen yet whether or not there is an actual hawkins yeah and light and they've just kind of not stolen the vans but painted the vans to look to like, look similar you know because we have like vermont gas up here you know you can mm-hmm. have somebody yeah. you know or if this is a made-up company and i can't imagine it would be a made-up company because everybody would be going like what the hell is hawkins power and light so right who where did they come from because we don't use them as a server like who do you guys yeah. use you so, know so i imagine it's like a real i think it's the real company and they have just kind of co-opted the trucks to maybe you know, pretend but there were so many, then I begin to wonder, why doesn't the real Hawkins power think, where did all these extra trucks come yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. uh, Jimmy, is that you over on uh, Curly? And, uh, you know. No, no. Uh, then who no. is it? No. Did we have a, a mass hiring yeah. that yeah. none of us were aware well, I'm, of? I'm down in Cartersville. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you. We yes. see Elle this time when she goes into the what are we called? I know she goes into the astral, astral plane, black okay. box, whatever. Yes. Yes. She goes into the astral plane. Did I miss this where Brenner sends her specifically to find the monster or was he basically to, to confront the monster or to, yeah, to do something with the monster. Yeah. Cause he said, don't worry. He can't hurt you from here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He I said, just didn't yeah. know if he was, if I, missed it and he said no go go in and basically see what you find yeah no it's like today's the day we make contact and okay but but don't worry it can't hurt you from here so and this was this was kind of my question watching this is because i always had it in my head i think from the first time watching it five years ago that when she opened up the gate that is what brought demogorgons into being really from wherever they were in the universe completely not realizing the fact that her seeing the demogorgon is what opened up the gate to let the demogorgon out so now we don't really know where the demogorgons came from originally i mean are they just like an alien race that somehow is in a parallel universe something or other i disagree i think that they have always lived the upside down is basically their home and it has been undisturbed by humans until now so they've just been wandering around think about all the random missing people that have happened throughout the years maybe that's who's been snacking on them why they go missing maybe a demogorgon pops out and pulls them through a tree trunk or something well hell that's terrifying well yes this is how my brain works (laughs) so I am not ruling out the possibility that there's a parallel universe with monsters in it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go, I'll let you handle the rest of this. I'm going to go curl up in a fetal position for a while. So, yeah, I think that they've just, they just lived there. And somehow when Elle screamed and it made that rift, that's when they thought, oh, now we That's how they got out. Yeah, Mm -hmm. obviously. So, yeah. It's just kind of interesting how your brain remembers things when it, mm-hmm. you know, five years later. And I wonder if that's similar to, have you ever read The Mist by Stephen King? Yes. So I wonder if that's kind of, those monsters in The Mist come from a parallel universe that is also because there's been some government experiments at this. Right. I mean, and and there's no speaking of, i mean under the dome stephen king's novel and the whole yes. i won't spoil the ending but 
there's a whole big reveal at the end and it's just like this random thing out of nowhere and it's yes. never really explained you know yeah how i think it you, came to be so yeah i think we just sum it up with supernatural paranormal type things yeah so we get a little bit of a view into terry ives beliefs and yes. she's basically catatonic at this point she doesn't speak right and but they've still kept this nursery like it always was you know that's where they sit and talk and that scene alone gives me chills where they're because it's interspersed with with scenes of 11 through her time at the lab and different right. things that have happened with her yeah but this is the first time we really nail it or well not nail it down but sort of whittle it down to this probably has something to do with mk ultra because her, becky talks about terry saying they gave her lsd and they didn't they were trying to do all these experiments and they never say mk ultra but that's obviously what it alludes to no they say they say mk ultra oh in this conversation i knew yeah yeah yeah. Oh, in the first in the first conversation right okay yeah um but yeah and becky you know clearly doesn't buy into it because she's you know you know kind of sarcastic with Hopper at the end and saying, "Oh, you'd fit her, you'd fit right in with her and that kind of thing," you know, because she thinks her baby is a weapon off fighting the commies and stuff. So mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't really buy into it. But and you know, why would she? Certainly. But yeah, that that whole scene is just it's just creepy on so many levels. And then it's contrasted. You got the the family feud is playing in the background. Yes. And, and she's got I don't know if you noticed, but on her little TV tray next to her, she's got two books about. Uh, bonsai trees you know making your yes. own bonsai trees and stuff like that so yeah it's it's just a it's a really really kind of intense scene there could have been a you know a most stranger superlative scene that whole the whole thing with terry and just, i considered it yeah why she's catatonic and what's going on and how much of this is true and we all kind of think it's true i mean because we have no reason to not believe it's true at this mm-hmm. point so yeah so what is the difference and maybe this is too deep for this episode, but what's the basic difference between the Montauk project and MK ultra? Because in my head, they were always interchangeable. They're not. I don't know what the Montauk project is. I've heard of MK ultra. I don't know. According to this book, after the failure of project rainbow or success, depending on how you look at it, a number of the researchers involved wish to continue their work. Congress rejected the idea as far too dangerous, not to be deterred. Those researchers, researchers petitioned the department of defense claiming their work could develop a weapon that would drive an enemy insane so i guess it's all sort of just testing yeah these different types of things on people to help and, and we talked i know we i know the duffer brothers named their day of the show montauk when they were creating mm-hmm. it but had, had we talked about montauk before i don't remember i think not, maybe not, was... not as the pilot but as 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 the real thing and fk ultra Maybe not. So the Montauk project, the work covered many areas from teleportation to constructing flying saucers, faking the moon landing to creating the AIDS virus. They developed mind control methods, contacted alien life, and even bioengineered monstrous creatures and or humans with enhanced abilities. It was, in short, your one-stop shop for every secret government project you've ever heard of. If it wasn't for the work of the Phoenix Project, the X-Files would have had to finish after its first season. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So back to your question. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something to, something to chew on for later. Absolutely. 
two more things I wanted to mention. One is the visit of executioner Connie Frazier to our favorite science teacher. I I had a flipping heart attack yes. when he opened the door, and it's still oh no. I mean, yeah, he, he opens the door. You're like of anybody in the world. I would rather have Brenner show up on his doorstep than her than Connie Frazier. Yeah. Yes. I was just waiting for her to. And we have no idea. That's the last we see of Mr. Clark in this Mm -hmm. episode. So, you know, if if you haven't already seen it and know what happens from here, like we were the first time we saw it. Nervous wreck. What the hell is going on? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one more thing before we get into your Colin moment. Yes. Do we have any idea it's kind of hard to separate it now that I've seen the other seasons. So I know what the theories were at this time. And I know what was true and what ended up not coming to fruition. But this is the episode where L at the very end says, I'm the monster. Right. Do we know exactly why it's never explained why she thinks that it could be that she's killed people in the lab. No, I, I think it's because she's responsible for the monster. She is, you know, kind of taking the blame. I don't think she actually thinks she's a monster. She's like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the thing that opened this up. I mean, it's, it's all my fault. So I don't know how much you read into theories when this first came out, but I was eating them up with a spoon. I could not get enough, oh, sure. could not wait for season two to figure out what happens. But there were theories that maybe L and the Demogorgon were two sides of the same coin somehow. Oh, and I never got that. There was a lot of, there was actually a lot of information that could have backed it up. And, you know, you never saw them. It was almost like she created her existence and her abilities created the Demogorgon. So they were always tied Hmm. to one another. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think she thinks that she is the Demogorgon, but I think she knows that she is responsible for it. I never knew if it was that or if she was like feeling terrible because she actually murdered a lot of innocent people. Yeah. Not really innocent, I guess. Right. <laughs> Did you catch the Alice in Wonderland picture in her room? No, but I did. I, I read about it and then I went back and looked at it and then you saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was a nice little it was. Whim- whimsical addition. We should, we should talk about the quarry a little bit real quick because yeah. it's kind of a, such a, such a, big scene troy has completely gone off the rails um i mean it's one thing to you know push a kid down in a playground and you know bust his chin open on a rock but to make him a pee himself when nobody's there so what's the point i mean what's he going to do run back to the school hey i made mike pee himself or b make the kid commit suicide i mean you're essentially killing him i mean i mean I mean, there's Bullies no way in the eighties didn't mess around. There, there's no way anybody from Dustin to Mike to James to Troy thought that Mike could survive that fall. No. So, I mean, that's, I mean, you're essentially killing a child as, and he, and when you're a child yourself, which was just nuts. Yes. It did go a little bit off the rails. Like you said, where it was kind of questionable, like what did Troy have a mental break? No. And- I mean, if it, if it had been, you know, maybe half the distance or something. And sure, he might get hurt, might break a bone, something like that. Sure, great, whatever. But I mean, you're talking about like, and I'm not condoning, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, yes. that, that's one thing. But when you're talking about like 
killing somebody. It's just strange. Did you notice? And I, I think, you know, this is again, it looked very much like the Cliffs of Insanity and Princess Bride when they were like climbing up the Cliffs of Insanity. And and, and when Mike starts, oh. levi- when Mike starts levitating back up, it yes. looks very much, like, it's, it's really, it's really funny. Yeah, I, I never I caught that, in, but. I, I think that's one that may have been a little intentional just because it, it it's almost a shot by shot kind of remake it it's like framed mm-hmm. the same way and everything like that so it was it was it was kind of interesting but my big question is why couldn't lucas have been there to see all this right oh i know because if anybody needed to be there to see l and her powers and what she yeah. does and how she sticks up for his friends mm-hmm. and he's not even there so i'm telling you lucas was not very likable the first season not until the very end he just no he wasn't yeah absolutely was not i mean he has his moment in episode eight but throughout the whole most of season one you're kind of like why is anybody friends with him absolutely uh one last behind the scenes thing and then we can get into all of our little segments and stuff um matt in the book um world's turned upside down um was talking about matt duffer was Mm -hmm. talking about filming at the quarry um and said it was really difficult to move around there it was really hard to get equipment there and by the time we got it all set up i think we have we had five hours with our kids we didn't really know what, what we were doing as far as digital effects were concerned. I remember feeling very lost when we were shooting this. And then Tim Ives, who's the cinematographer, said that they had to make it look like Mike was really teetering on the edge. And then we had him falling as well. There were green screen, green screen elements when we had Finn in a harness on a green screen falling toward the camera, falling laterally and going back up. And then we had to fly over, had fly him over the camera. The rock that he steps off of was at that location, but it was just off to the side of the pad underneath. And we, so we were just underneath looking up at him. And then Matt concluded by saying the group hug at the end. That's what people remember, not the shaky looking green screen, even though it's still, <laughs> even though it still bothers me. And that's yes. talking. So, and it's true. I mean, it's, I mean, if you go back and watch it again and again and again, you kind of, you know, pick it apart and you can kind of see, yeah, the green screen's a little shaky and stuff, but yeah, you do. You remember the hug. Um, I mean, it's like one of the iconic images of Stranger Things. I think it's like and the when line you, when you pull it up on Netflix. It, it was it was the image, mm-hmm. you know, for Stranger. It was the three of them hugging. So yeah. Okay, are you ready for your Colin moment? Sure. Okay, let's do it. So back at the beginning of the episode, when Mike is having his little temper tantrum and kicking his fort down and kicking himself for being so mean to Elle and blah, blah, blah. What did he have in his hands? A Rubik's Cube. A Rubik's Cube. I loved Rubik's Cubes. I still, I can, I, I can solve a Rubik's Cube. Fun fact. Colin Michael, can solve a Rubik's Cube. Also, Colin can solve a Rubik's Cube. So my husband also spent a good deal of quarantine learning how to solve a <laughs> Rubik's Cube. And there were many a night that he would sit watching some YouTube video on how to solve it every single time. So now so did, he, did he cheat or did, cause what I did mm-hmm. was I solved it the first time without books and without video. Yes. I mean, it, it took a while. Yes. But I finally solved it. And then once I did that, then I cheated. I'm like, Oh God, now I can prove that I can do it now. Yes. And now you can do it in two minutes. I'm like, boom. I but, cannot, but yes, my husband can. And he did the same thing. He wanted to figure it out on his own the first time. And then he wanted to look back at the. Yeah. Okay. Cheats. Good on Mike. That's good. I didn't want him cheating. So that's, that's good. (laughs) But yeah, no, I totally remember river scoops when they became a thing. It was 19, 
1980 they hit the market so i think like i think it said like between 1980 and 83 they sold like 200 million of them which seems low honestly as popular as rubik's cubes were rubik's cubes were in the early 80s but i totally remember when they were a thing and i mean my friends had them at school and everything i'm like oh what's that and, and you know people can solve them and stuff i loved rubik's cubes i still have three of them they actually have Rubik's Cube competitions now, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And I've watched some of them. They're insane. It is like two seconds and those people, those kids can get them around. Have you seen the dude juggling Rubik's Cubes? He's got three Rubik's Cubes. No. Juggling and solving them at the same time. So he's like one hand, juggle, juggle. I'll have to, I'll have to find it and I'll put a link up on our Twitter Yes. Page. Yeah. I mean, people do it blindfolded. People... I've seen people, I saw a video the other day where a Rubik's Cube was messed up. So he had to take it from fixed to make it messed up in like 10 seconds, which seems even harder to make because, you know, it's one thing to make everything, you know, the same color, but now you've got to make everything um, different colors. Yeah. 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 So no colors are touching. little anything. stickers into, yeah, it's crazy. Oh no, so, I could not do that. But yes, if, if you haven't had the joy of holding a Rubik's Cube in your hands and playing with it. <laughs> I highly we, we, advise it. That's my we suggest it. That's my Colin moment and my Colin tip for the week. Rubik's cube. Go buy one. Absolutely. Okay, you want to do? Where in the world is? Let's do it. Okay, so this is turning into the Dustin T-shirt <laughs> competition, um, but I do have an extra one too, and it's not really kind of along the same lines, but you'll you'll see when we get to it. So the first one is the Castroville Artichoke Festival, which is featured prominently on Dustin's t-shirt. Is it a real thing? Is it not a real thing? And if it is a real thing, where is Castroville? This one's a total guess. It seems like it's a real thing. It's so weird. It has to be a real thing. There has to be an artichoke festival in some place called Castroville. Good call. Good, good call. Yes. But where is Castroville? You tell me. Castroville. It sounds like a northern let's, let's, town. I'll give you a hint. Okay. Think of what the festival is celebrating. I don't know where they grow artichokes. The artichokes. And and what state has the artichoke? <laughs> I don't as, know where artichokes come from. <laughs> as its official state vegetable. Artichoke is a, an official state vegetable? It is. In California. Gonna... California. That is not California's. California's official state vegetable is the artichoke. Every year what? since 1959, they have held the Castroville Artichoke Festival just north of Monterey. Never in a million years. The other one's a little uh, a little different than what we normally do, but it's um, Bradley's Big Buy, which is the grocery store that Elle goes into and steals the Eggos and then slams the door on the manager as they're walking out. Mm -hmm. So Bradley's Big Buy, is it a real place? I mean, it's obviously there's a physical building there, but is it a real place or not? And if it is, where is it? And then I'll tell you a little bit of story about it. Yes, there is a Bradley's (laughs) Big Buy somewhere. That was a leading question, right? Yeah. (laughs) And... Now, this sounds like a Southern thing. Not as popular as Piggly Wiggly's or Publix, but a Bradley's Big Buy. I could see you know that what? being in some I'm going like... to stop you right there. Okay. Because the Bradley's Big Buy 
in Palmetto, Georgia, which is where they filmed this, was just bought by a couple years ago. It's Piggly Wiggly. Good call. Good, good call. So Bradley's Big Buy is going to become a, a Piggly Wiggly? It is. It is now a Piggly Wiggly in Palmetto, Georgia. I love a good Piggly Wiggly. And it is apparently a fan haven for Stranger Things heads. I could totally see that. Yeah. Uh, there's an article, and we'll, we'll, I'll post up the link to it so you can see it. But there's an article they interviewed the manager at the time. This was um, about a year and a half, two years ago in 2019. Manager David Johnston of the Piggly Wiggly in Palmetto, Georgia, said that they get fans there in all the time. And he's happy to give quick tours of the Piggly Wiggly and explain where everything took place. So this is the corner she rounded. This is the freezer aisle. This is where she came out. These are the doors, this kind of thing. He points out the path that Eleven took through the store. And then David says, fans like to recreate the scene on site. And some ask Johnston to play the baffled employee and chase them out of the store. And he says, (laughs) he usually obliges. We've had a ball with it overall, he says. Everybody here goes out of their way to accommodate these fans. Um, and then employees started encouraging fans to write about their experience in like a notebook they, they keep at the store, like a guest book at a bed and breakfast or like, a you know, that kind oh of thing. Oh, my gosh. And um, they highlighted one note that was signed by these three people from New York, Julia, Mike and Danielle. And they wrote in the book, loved coming here to get some Eggos and Coke. That's so, hilarious. So you that's know, there's the a goof in that scene, actually. When she walks by, she walks by some Trident white gum and Trident white did not, I can't remember things that it was in the two thousands. I think I guess they just forgot to take it out. Yeah, it's I mean, good Lord. You could not, I read no, that. I did not notice no. it. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, they're not going to completely redo the entire Mm-mm. store. I'm sure one aisle over was, you know, Coke right. zero. Sure. <laughs> you know, or yes. something like that. So. So yeah, those are your those are your two locations. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you high marks on the Piggly Wiggly yes! uh, Bradley's Best Buy there. Good good work on that. All right, are you All ready right. for your homework for the week? Let's do homework. You're late again. Yeah, I had to get catch up homework. Okay, I've got four questions for you this week, and I'm already a little disappointed in myself for choosing these questions because I swear you pro I think you answered every single one when you were doing your summary <laughs> while we're talking. Yes. <laughs> All right. Number one, what is the name of the club that Connie, Connie Frazier, most definitely isn't setting up whatever she tells Mr. Clark? Oh, the, the uh, Indiana, A, Indiana AV Club, right? Is that what it was? Correct. Good call. Good, good call. Okay. Question number two. And again, I am getting these questions from the notes from the Upside Down, an unofficial guide to Stranger Things in case anyone wants to play along. Number two is when did Dustin arrive at Hawkins Middle School? Fourth grade. Good call. Good, good call. You're just going to get all these because literally I think you answered all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I had actually actually forgotten that, that he had, that he'd rather in fourth. It's like one of those throwaway lines that you. Yeah. Kind of don't pay attention to. Question number three. What's the name of the movie theater in Hawkins? Oh, crap. You probably remember the movie, but do you remember the actual? Yeah, All the Right Things starring Nancy DeSlot Wheeler. All the Right Moves? All the Right, yeah, what did I say? All the Right Things? Yeah. Yeah. 
oh, Stranger Things. things. <laughs> Stranger Things, all the right, yes, all the right moves, starring Nancy the Slut Wheeler and Tom yes. Cruise. Um, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Hawkins Theater would be too obvious. No, no, no. absolutely not. It is actually called the Hawk. All right. It's kind of like a fun. I yeah. can see that being. I don't. If hey Johnny, let's go to the Hawk. Want to go to the Hawk on Friday night? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds edgy. Okay, that's good. Okay. Yeah, I was in that scene. I was definitely not paying attention to what the theater was. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the red spray paint instead. Right. So, yep. Okay. Final question. What does Tommy graffiti in the alley? Not on the marquee, but in the alley. Oh man. I remember him doing it too. And it's on the door on the left-hand side and it's kind of beige and. Mm-hmm. Oh, what the hell does he. And I can hear everybody listening to us going, you're an idiot. How do you not know this? <laughs> I have no idea. No, no, no. absolutely not. He writes, Byers is a perv. Right. Which, Dang it. Tommy, you're just the worst. He really is. <laughs> the kid's little brother is a presumed dead. Why would you write that? Anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, that's right. As soon as you said it, I, I knew, yeah, Jonathan made sense, but I couldn't remember. But yeah, I, I could totally see it now. So absolutely. Yeah. So you got 50%. Yeah. That's all right. Not terrible. Okay. I'll study harder next week. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we'll be back next week with some more homework for you. All right. We'll blow through some music real quick. Yep. Let's do it. Okay. Song number one, Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart, which was being listened to in uh, Dingus and the Douchebag's car. Uh, Dingus and the Deadbeats. Is that what I called in the recap? Dingus and the Deadbeats? I can't remember. Um, Stephen, Tommy, and Carol are listening to Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart, which went all the way to number seven in the pop charts after debuting in January of 1984. It's a little early. A little early, Matt and Ross. I wonder how they don't realize this as they're doing it. I mean, seriously, they could have picked any song Mm -hmm. from November of 1983 Yeah, backwards through time. Maybe it's more of the feeling the song yeah, absolutely gives. Yeah, yeah. because that that song i love it and it fits perfectly in that scene so right yeah so okay song number two kind of an obscure weird song on this one it's called i see the future by andrew pinching and it's the song that karen hears when she breaks into nancy's room it's a song that's playing on the on the boombox and this is kind of a weird song not in and of itself it's a great song but weird kind of background because andrew pinching is also known as pinch was the drummer for the punk band the damned but he kind of did this on his own and and you can't find it anywhere and you go on like reddit and everything and everybody's like what is this song and where's it Mm -hmm. from it's not on spotify it's not on apple it's not i mean it's not really even a real song that was really released so did you know that it was actually produ- it was actually a track produced for commercial use in TV and film rather than being a pop song at the time. Where are you reading this? That is from the notes from the Upside Down and Unofficial oh, Guide to okay. by Guy Adams. Okay, well that helps a little bit, but yeah, certainly not a pre nineteen eighty three song. So because he was busy kind of getting into his punk roots, I'm sure at that point. Yeah, I don't know how old he yeah, is. Yeah, so, so that's why. Okay. 
Song number three was called The Bargain Store by Dolly Parton. It's what's playing kind of in the background when Nancy and Jonathan are buying gas cans and bullets and everything else. came out in January of 1975 and reached number one on the pop charts for young Dolly Parton. So the bargain store, you don't really hear it. It's kind of in the background and normally I don't talk about background songs, but it's a good song. So, yes. But did you know that a lot of radio stations wouldn't play it because it says you can easily afford the price and they thought it was about prostitution. Dolly would never would never. (laughs) Uh, Last song is also playing in the background. This is kind of a strange selection too because it's playing in the background when jonathan and steve are fighting and it's exit by tangerine dream who we heard in the last episode came out in september of 1981 never charted obviously so there's the music for this week okay let's move on to our steve harrington douchebag meter it's because he's been dating that douchebag steve harrington yeah she's smart you douche and you were a douchebag. We were at a seven and a half and an eight back on episode four. Now we're on episode six, five. He went down. I think we had him at a zero. We both had him at a zero last week, right? Yes. We were both zeros. And now he's, now he's back in fine Steve form. So this one, it was hard for me because... It's almost understandable why he's being a bit of a douchebag. Now, do I think he should have taken it to a 10? No, but I understand why he's mad because he's, he sees Nancy and Jonathan. Well, are they in bed or is he just sleeping on the floor? He's sitting no, on the bed. They're, they're maybe just, they're sitting side by side on the bed oh, facing, okay. facing away from him. So, well, and I, this is the same night that he had asked her to go to the movies and she said she couldn't. True. Because presumably a lot later. Right? right. It seems like it could be two in the morning. Right. Why so yeah, I mean, out? and it's not like, yeah, I'm kind of conflicted on this one too. Cause he is an like absolute douche. Oh, uh, I mean, in this episode, no excuse for the violence or the, or the, the, the graffiti. Oh, and some of the things that he says to Jonathan in the fight. Oh, you know, it's awful. Yes. Yeah, it's about terrible. his dad and stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no. I'm giving him a 10, but it's with an asterisk. Yeah. I feel like he's definitely at least a 10. He has to be a 10 because if he was an eight, because he didn't. Yeah. This is, this is not just one step up from. <laughs> no, I think he's a 10. episode four. Yeah. Okay. 10 with a star, a bullet okay. or a footnote. Okay. We will keep that in mind moving forward with our buddy, Steve. <laughs> okay. Time for, we'll wrap things up with our superlatives. yes and like we said there were some there were some major contenders this week for a couple of the categories yeah you want to jump right in with most stranger yeah let's do it i had i almost wrote down becky telling them the the story of terry and what she thought had happened interspersed with the the flashbacks of l and all the Mm -hmm. stuff she had done that was almost what i went to but then i remembered the scene where Elle is creeping up on the Demogorgon and it's just so gross and scary. Look, it's eating something and the sounds that it makes. And, oh, and she's you, just trying to touch it. You totally know something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, this yes. is not one of those phony buildups or something like that. You know, no. something, you know, even though Brenner said, you know, he can't hurt you or whatever. You're like, well, I don't know. I don't know that. I, I don't understand why he <laughs> thinks that, honestly. So. Well, I mean, it's kind of like going back to the Russian guy. I mean, obviously she's standing right in front of the Russian guy and, you know, he can't see her. So. Well, we don't know the rules are the same for the I, I know. I know. I was freaked out, too. I wrote down that. I wrote down everything having to do with Terry Ives. I wrote down. The Colin qu- wrote down all of episode eight. Yes. So <laughs> the entire, I wrote down the quarry scene with Mike and floating in midair. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote down the end scene, which I'm sure what most people would say is the whatever thing of this episode, when she breaks open the rift and that whole thing starts. But I went with, just because I love the man so much, executioner Connie Frazier knocking on Scott Clark's door, which freaked me out because oh. Scott Clark I just gravitated right to him, like from the word go in this series. Mm-hmm. And for her to show up on his doorstep, I'm like, oh God, yes. what's going to happen? Is he going to die? Mm-hmm. He's dead. He's got to be dead. <laughs> so so I went with Connie at, at, nope. at Mr. Clark's place. That's a good one though. Yeah. Okay, best, uh, we don't do best line. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I had, when Mike and Lucas were going after each other and Mike was trying to defend L to Lucas, he was saying, you know, we need to keep her around precisely because she's a weapon. Do you seriously want to fight the Demogorgon with your wrist rocket? That's like R2-D2 going to fight Darth Vader. I knew you would choose that one simply because of the Star Wars reference. Yes. So I, I like that. That was my, my first I, line. I wanted, I wanted to go with she's our friend and she's crazy because it's such an iconic line. And that right. is, I mean, I, I've gotten gifts with that engraved on it for people. Oh, before. sure. Yeah. But I actually went with, it's a line that Nancy says when they are buying all of the weapons in, I keep calling it a weapon store, but it's probably just a hunting it's, store. Yes, yeah, like, <laughs> like an A&M, like an A&M, like a, you know, yes. plus, yeah. And the guy, the cashier asked them, what are you kids doing with all this stuff? And it takes her just a beat and she goes, monster hunting. Yeah. She's like, am I going to lie? Am yeah. I going to, you know. Because she knows the truth is. Right unbelievable and there's nothing she could make up that would explain all this no yeah yeah you kind of see the wheels turning it's great and his response is just "Eh," and just sends them on their way like it's no big get this all the time yeah so all right you want to do your most 80s yeah most spirited thing i i had to go with family feud i was such a family feud guy um it was probably one of the probably the first game show that i really watched growing up and I was super into game shows right through high school. Um, I loved, I loved every single one of them from Tic-Tac-Doe to Joker's Wild. I wasn't as big a fan of Card Sharks, but Sale of the Century. And Was Card Sharks the one where they had the giant cards and they would yep. put them? Yep. I love that simply That's because good. of the giant cards. Yeah. And name that tune uh, mm-hmm. with Jim Perry. And then of course, Family Feud with uh, Richard Dawson. Um it was like 1976 to 1985 he was on it mm-hmm. so you know kind of hard of the early 80s but i just the creepy years with Feud. richard it, dawson it was very i mean every episode they kind of put something in that's you know so we had the rubik's cube and we also had family feud in this just to remind us you know it, it, we're in the 80s so mm-hmm. i actually went with a simple payphone because i have a 15 year old daughter who we've been out before this is when she was young, way younger and there was one lone payphone at a gas station and she looked at it and said what is that you're right <laughs> and i said yeah. it's payphone you have to pay money to use yeah. it 
And her little mind was just blown. Yeah. Uh, honey, you know, whenever I say hang up the phone, this is what I mean. This is yes, why I say hang up the, the phone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now go listen to your album and leave me alone. <laughs> and with your eight tracks. See you later. Yeah. So, all right. Finally, we've got most popular MVP, whatever we're calling it. Um, Best all around. So I know we can kind of go either character or actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and last week I chose Dustin, the character. And this week I'm picking, I think I picked her before too, Millie Bobby Brown, the actress. Okay. Um, just because I think she was so great. And then you just remember she's, what, 12, 13 years old, like in real life when she's filming this? I know mm-hmm. she's supposed to be, you know, 12 years I think old. she's 11 or 12. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, the, the scene in the supermarket when she just kind of stomps in and then, mm-hmm. you know, everything in that scene that you mentioned, your most stranger scene when she's like just creeping up on the Demogorgon. I, I just think she's off the charts amazing. And they're so lucky that they found her. Um, for this series. I think I, I just thought it was a great performance. Yeah. I went with uh, the opposite side of that coin. I went with 11, the character because of her, she just totally redeems herself. Not that she had much redeeming to do, but when I love it, when a bully gets what's coming to him, yeah. it's, it's like a high to me. It's how much yeah. I love it. Yeah. And when she, and like we said earlier, Troy is, mean to be mean he's just hateful and she breaks his arm and i feel no sorrow for that kid none nope and it's hilarious yeah and i love it yeah especially you know in the light of you know when we last left her at the end of the prior episode when she just kind of disappeared after throwing lucas across the junkyard Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i I agree i I, you know we were same sides of the different coin or different sides of the same coin so yeah yeah all right okay that does it for this week if you have any questions or things that you want to tell us, comments, you can always email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials at scoopsahoypod. Next week, we will be back with another episode. We'll be discussing episode seven, the penultimate episode called The Bathtub. Sounds very unassuming, but. <laughs> just you wait don't 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 you worry so <laughs> i want to thank everybody for listening and i hope you tune in next time thanks guys bye bye Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Pixabay.